Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is our NBA Top 10 Power Rankings. So we've done a couple episodes of our Top 5 Power Rankings, but now we're going to expand into our Top 10 Power Rankings. So Jalen... What are your top 10 NBA power rankings? All right. So if we're starting at number 10, I have the Denver Nuggets, the Indiana Pacers, the Utah Jazz, the Brooklyn Nets at seven, the Milwaukee Bucks at six. I'm starting to teeter on this one, but I'm going to keep it. The Milwaukee Bucks at six, the Phoenix Suns at five, the Philadelphia 76ers at four, the L.A. Clippers at three, the Boston Celtics at two, and the Los Angeles Lakers at number one. So at number 10, I have the Portland Trailblazers. Number nine, I have the Utah Jazz. Number eight, I have the Indiana Pacers. Number seven, I have the Los Angeles Clippers. Number six, I have the Boston Celtics. Number five, I have the Brooklyn Nets. Number four, I have the Phoenix Suns. Number three, I have the Philadelphia 76ers. Number two, I have the Milwaukee Bucks. And number one, I have the Los Angeles Lakers. All right. So let's dissect this from the bottom because one of the most interesting things that I saw on here um, looking at this was very starting at number 10. And this was actually the most difficult space for me as well. So this is actually a really great place to start. For you, you had the... Portland Trailblazers, who are currently six and four, fifth in the Western Conference right now, as of us recording this. While on the flip side, I have the Denver Nuggets, who are five and six, tied for ninth or tied for tenth in the Western Conference, but currently uh, slotted at the eleventh spot in the West. Of course, that discrepancy is kind of thrown off by the fact that the Port the Portland Trailblazers have played, you know, one less game than Denver. But what is it that made it where you picked a team like Portland over Denver long-term in terms of being a better team so far this year? I think for the point that you mentioned in terms of long-term, I think in the long-term, Portland has a better chance of making the playoffs and making an impact in the playoffs than Denver does. It's mainly because they have all of their players healthy. C.J. McCollum's been healthy. Damian Willard's been healthy. They've been able to get some production this season from guys like Gary Trent Jr., who really made a name for himself in the bubble. They've also gotten some good minutes off the bench from their one of their new acquisitions in Derek Jones Jr. And, of course, we mentioned that Robert Coverton is a solid defender. So from top to bottom, they have pretty much every category covered from great defensive specialists to three-point shooters to just overall great players like Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum. They have five players right now averaging in the double figures in terms of scoring. They have C.J. McCollum, 28 points a game. Damian Lillard, 26 points a game. Carmelo Anthony, 13 points a game. Enos Cantor with 11 points a game. And Gary Trent Jr. with just under 11 points a game. 
I kind of predicted they could be the best team in the Western Conference. Right now they're eighth, and the Lakers are number one in our power rankings for a reason. They're 9-3 and three right now. They're undefeated on the road. They've been getting it done with guys like LeBron James and Anthony Davis. But I kind of feel like there's a part of me that believes that Portland can make a run in the Western Conference. And it all comes down to can all their guys stay healthy? I think that with guys like Nurkic playing 10 games, Robert Covington playing 10 games, McCollum, Lillard, Enos Cantor, Derek Jones Jr., those guys playing 10 games, Rodney Hood playing eight games. This is a great sign for the future down the road this season because with those guys healthy, I feel like the Portland Trailblazers are going to be a dangerous team because they have a fully healthy roster. Now, I don't disagree with you with that one. I think that they have a more full-fledged roster out of the two. And honestly, at 10, the, between the Nuggets and the Trailblazers, that really was the toss-up for me. Um, the reason why I lean with the Nuggets, though, is because they've been able to steer the ship where the only reason why they are under 500 right now is because just the other day, Kevin Durant went off so well for 34 points that he moved up four spots in the all-time scoring like list. Like That's how well Kevin Durant played. Otherwise, this is a team that easily would be above 500 and would look a little bit better in the standings. I think the other thing is, too, that they have an MVP caliber guy in Nikola Jokic on their team this year. I mean, even in that game by himself, he had 23, 11, and 8. Like, he went crazy in that game. And he's been doing this practically all year. He's another guy kind of like Julius Randle who has been, like, on the low-key tip at the big man position thriving at all facets offensively and he's doing really well and I think that I think that having an MVP caliber player on your team is significantly more impactful I think the other thing is I'm looking at their circumstances and they're only a game under 500 and Jamal Murray has not went off yet we have not really gotten the Jamal Murray has woken up this season game yet we've seen a 23 point game earlier on in the season but other than that we haven't really seen him go crazy yet. You know what I mean? We haven't seen him have that hot game that has him pulling the bow and arrow out and just really feeling himself. And I think that's the Jamal Murray that they need in order to go on a significant run and move up the standings quickly. And I think that they have the capability of doing that. Because Nicole Jokic has been such a model of consistency, if they can get Jamal Murray going, this team instantly is more dangerous than it has been all year. I mean, and – this is a team, like I said, has been able to keep the boat afloat even with a guy in like Jamal Murray not being the guy we, we saw in the bubble and throwing in on top of that that they had a really, really tough start in their first two to three games coming off of the bubble where, I mean, you lose to the Kings on a late second, last second tip in by Buddy Heal. They had him running so fast you thought he was Sonic the Hedgehog. Like, this is simply a team that, like, has rebounded really well since the first week of basketball. So I think that if I, I hate to keep pressing on that, but I think that Jamal Murray is the key to this team being a top 10 basketball team this season. So I do believe that the Denver Nuggets will crack the top 10 at some point. But Jalen, you mentioned something a while ago with one of your hot takes this season. You mentioned that 
the Denver Nuggets this year could be like the Portland Trailblazers last year. True. I still have that feeling, Jalen. I, I, I know it was a hot take, but to me, with Jamal Murray not having that big game this season yet, and I guess my, my concerns about the injuries to their roster, I would say mainly to Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, Will Barton, MPJ, and I think with a fully healthy roster, Last year, Denver was a great team, but Portland had a lot of injured players. Zach Collins, Rodney Hood, Damian Lillard, TJ McCollum, Yusuf Nurkic, they all battled injuries last year. If I had to pick a fully healthy team to make a run in the Western Conference, I would have to go with Portland. Yeah, and I mean, obviously the hot take kind of waters this down because it's one of those things where you can just tell that I'm trying to keep my faith in Nikola Jokic and the Nuggets by picking them over the trailblazers who last season, I was actually a lot more excited about um, prior to a lot of the injury concerns that took place, but I'm all my faith together for right now. Like I said, it was a hot, like you said before, and it was a hot take. It's one of those things that I was concerned about, but not necessarily saying is the case, Ryan, there's another set of circumstances. We have the Pacers and jazz literally intertwined. So I'm not too worried about that, but the next one up on my list in particular is the Brooklyn Nets. I have them at seven. You have them at five. So we're both relatively low on the Nets in comparison to where we were entering the year. Before I go, what has you low on the Brooklyn Nets this year? I wouldn't say low, but I do have my concerns about them. As you recall, in the last power rankings that we've we've done, I had Brooklyn at number one both times because I believe they have the best roster in the NBA. They have the best chances to win the NBA championship. This year, I'm slightly concerned. And I will say, I will emphasize the two words, slightly concerned, because they lost a key piece of their roster early in the season with Spencer Dinwiddie, who partially tore his ACL and he's out for the year. And I know that My other concerns have been Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving just because they've been out for a couple games. They both played eight games this year. However, I would still believe that Brooklyn is a top five team in the league. Kevin Durant in eight games is averaging close to 38 and six. Kyrie in eight games is averaging 27, five and six. So right there, there's no doubt that they have the winning effect. They pretty much help Brooklyn win games. But the main question that I have is who's going to fill Spencer Dinwiddie's role? I think it could be Karis LeVert, but he's mainly an isolation guard. I still have those NBA championship expectations for Brooklyn, though. I think it's just going to come down to the play of guys like Kevin Durant. And I know Kyrie's going to be out for a couple more games, so it will mainly be up to Kevin Durant to pretty much help Brooklyn win a lot of these games. But Jalen, we're talking about Kevin Durant here. Any team that has Kevin Durant is a top five team. And that's the case for Brooklyn. I think that's I think that's really the needle mover, right? Because honestly, if you look at the way they've played this year, outside of like the opening couple of games, the Nets could easily have been off this list entirely if we're just looking at record alone. 
Um, the reason why they moved from being a top five team to me is the trickle down effect of a couple of things. Kyrie is potentially going to miss a handful of games because of a lot of different things that have added up over the coming days in reports. Spencer did what he went down for the year. Karis Levert is being asked to be more than the Manu Ginobili that Steve Nash was trying to label him as or coming into the season. And Kevin Durant coming off an Achilles injury is going to be a guy that we know is going to play on and off throughout the year. He's not a guy who's going to catch a lot of back-to-backs. He's going to play really well in the games that he does play in. Um, And he actually is a better overall all-around player when Kyrie's not on the floor. He's played six games with Kyrie not on the floor, and he's averaging like eight assists per game in the in those games. Like he's he's playing really well when Kyrie's not on the floor, which I don't want to say is any kind of detriment towards Kyrie Irving because you know that's the easy cop out way to say that Kyrie Irving Kyrie Irving is toxic. But I don't even think it's that. I think that they need both guys on the floor, and the, the other thing that moves them down to seven is just the fact that. There's a lot of uncertainty in regards to this roster stability because of the fact that with Spencer Dinwiddie out, the question of whether or not they trade for James Harden is still out there, but it makes the water a little bit more murky because they already lack the type of strong depth that we kind of initially viewed them as having. And they're only going to knock that down even more significantly if they have to move on from guys like Karis LeVert, like um, like Spencer Dinwiddie, like Jared Allen in a trade. So it's a team that's in a little bit of a murky area because they I feel like they need at least one piece to kind of fill in the Grady areas. Um. But I like you said beforehand, I think a Kevin Durant-led team can't be in your top 10. I don't know if they're a top five team this year so far, but I can't argue that a Nets team with Kevin Durant on it, there's no way they can't be in your top 10 because at the end of the day, they give you a fighting chance and a real championship opportunity. If you plug Kyrie into that, I mean, they're easily a top three team. We just haven't seen them on the floor together often enough to move them up the list that much. And I was contemplating the idea of Brooklyn trading for someone at the deadline. I wouldn't say necessarily trading for James Harden because I feel like you're going to have to give up a lot to get a guy like James Harden. And that probably requires Spencer Dinwiddie, Karis LeVert, and Jared Allen and maybe a couple of picks. But I would try to find a solid third option. I know Spencer Dinwiddie was that third option. Karis LeVert has proven he can be that third option. But I think Brooklyn needs to find a combo guard that could be a viable third option. I feel like that could be a lot of guys in the NBA. But there is a chance that they have that within their own roster. Chris Chioza could be that guy. I could say Landry Shamet could be that guy, but we haven't seen enough of them to know whether or not that they are a definite third option. But I feel like there's a chance that at the trade deadline, because of the injury to Spencer Dinwiddie, I feel like Brooklyn is going to look around the league to see where they can possibly find an established combo guard. And I think that, like I said, it can come from anywhere. 
but it's, it's now about, you know, the price tag, what you have to give up. And I kind of feel like Brooklyn, depending on who they're looking at, may not give up as much, or they might have to give up a lot for somebody that they might have to trade for at the deadline. And speaking of price tag, we're just going to move on up real quick to a team that I really want to touch on the most, which is the 76ers. They're a team that me and you both were very wishy-washy about coming into the season, very concerned about their circumstances because we both knew that this was kind of going to be their last real ticket, you know, with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. So far, started off the season eight and four. They were at one at one point, literally might even might have been like a day or two ago, was the the best team in the Eastern Conference. Now they're only one game back of the uh, Boston Celtics. But this is a team that has been playing relatively well this year. Started off really good. Ben Simmons is playing really well. He's actually hit a three so far this year, which I don't want to set the bar too high, but if I had to bet on anything, I say he hits at least three on the season, right? But here's another thing that I really want to touch on. Earlier this morning, Mark Stein reported that Houston is pursuing a trade package from Philly headlined by Ben Simmons and Tyrese Maxey for James Harden. Now, Tyrese Maxey is a guy who almost dropped 40 the other day when this team was COVID-struck. Ben Simmons is an all-star caliber player who could have won Defensive Player of the Year last year had he not got injured later on um, in the season when the bubble restart took place. Ryan, we have them as high as within the top five. You have them within the top three. Is this a team that genuinely needs to trade for James Harden when you're second in the Eastern Conference and you have the kind of circumstances that you have considering what the trade package is going to look like where it's headlined by arguably the two best guards, so to speak, if we're counting Ben Simmons at that position considering he plays point guard primarily, on your team. I don't think it's worth it to trade for James Harden, especially when you're second in your conference. I think Philadelphia this offseason did what they needed to do, which was upgrade at the guard position. They got Seth Curry. They drafted Tyrese Maxey. I just feel like that this team is ready to go this year. I do think the crazy thing about Philadelphia is that it seemed like they were a middle-of-the-pack playoff team last year. And this year, this almost looks like the team that Jimmy Butler was on when they had the aspirations of making the Eastern Conference Finals. I have that feeling about this current team. Now, whether or not they trade for James Harden, I'll be honest, I don't think that it should happen because I feel like it would ruin the current chemistry of this team, which I'll be honest with a new coach like Doc Rivers, they have that established. And I think that by trading away key pieces like Ben Simmons and Tyrese Maxey, I think it might ruin that chemistry. Not to mention that James Harden is a great player and thrives with the ball in his hands. And I don't think he would work well within this system. I don't think Philadelphia is the place to be, especially with this type of chemistry. Jalen, they have 
six players averaging double digits. Exactly. Joel Embiid, Tobias Harris, Seth Curry, Shake Milton, Ben Simmons, and Tyrese Maxey. By the way, did we mention that Tyrese Maxey exploded for almost 40 points against the Denver Nuggets? <laughs> and you want to trade him away along with Ben Simmons to Houston. Now, I do believe Ben Simmons and Tyrese Maxey going to Houston, I think that would be huge considering that John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins, Christian Wood, they have some established stars on that team. But we're talking about trading away Ben Simmons, Tyrese Maxey, and maybe a couple of picks for James Harden. I know James Harden doesn't want to be there anymore, but I think Philadelphia really has to avoid making this deal. And I mean, the thing with Philly is like, let's talk about it, Ryan. Let's really break this team down for a second. Joel Embiid is averaging 26.6 points and 12 rebounds a game. Ben Simmons is averaging 12.6 points, but he has 8.5 rebounds and 7.5 assists per game with nearly two steals a game. Tobias Harris is the second leading scorer on the team. He has seven, he has 7.9 rebounds, nearly eight rebounds per game on top of a cool 19 points per game. Seth Curry, a guy who they picked up in the offseason, 17 points per game. Shake Milton, 14 points per game. Even Danny Green is a guy who's nearly contributing double digits so far. And then another thing that I found was really interesting is that when we talk about Doc Rivers, I brought this up in, um, in one of our offseason episodes. When we talk about Doc Rivers thriving with big men, let's, let's talk about this for a second. At the center position, we've got Joel Embiid, who's averaging the 12.1 rebounds, like I said before. Tobias Harris, who's averaging the 7.9 rebounds, like I said before. Ben Simmons, who's averaging nearly nine rebounds, like I mentioned earlier. Tony Bradley, averaging 10.3 rebounds in the three games he's played so far. Dwight Howard, 7.3 rebounds per game. Why am I harping on this so much? Because in a league filled with small ball crazy going on, everybody's speaking on positionless basketball, the Philadelphia 76ers have relied on their big men so well that they are almost quite obviously one of the better rebounding teams this season. They are a dangerous team on the boards collectively I had to repeat the stats for Embiid, Harris, and Simmons specifically because of the fact that just from their starting lineup, they're getting nearly 30, they're getting nearly 30 rebounds per game from three guys in their starting lineup. They are a really proficient rebounding team, which means on the offensive glass as well, that makes them extremely dangerous. More possessions for a team like this, extremely dangerous. I think Tyrese Maxey's going to be a real player for this team. I think Isaiah Joe is just, just moving himself along. I think he's going to be a guy who, over time, is going to get more of a chance to really show off his three-point shooting ability. I'm praying that a guy in Matisse Thibel starts to kind of wake up offensively. He's been a guy who his biggest knock on him even coming out of the draft was the fact that offensively his game is very raw to put it lightly but he makes his money on the defensive end I still think that he's relatively well 
on that side of the ball. So this is a team that looks extremely dangerous, extremely dangerous. And I think that trading for James Harden would really mess that up. I think in comparison to the Nets, I think the 76ers need James Harden way, way less. And I think that the 76ers have a chance to actually finish in the top two in the Eastern Conference this year because I think Doc Rivers has them playing with a sense of urgency that I don't think they've had in the last couple of years under Brett Brown. I have to mention something before we move on. Against the Denver Nuggets, the one thing that stood out to me about this Philadelphia 76ers team is that this team, even with nine or ten guys out, they played seven guys all with heavy minutes. This team proved to me that they have some depth. They played Danny Green, Dwight Howard, Tyrese Maxey, Dakota Mathias, Isaiah Joe, Paul Reed, and Tony Bradley. Danny Green had 11 points and five assists in that game. Dwight Howard had 11 and 11. Tyrese Maxey, we mentioned, almost went off for 40 points. Dakota Mathias, 12 points, five assists. Isaiah Joe, 13 points, four rebounds, two assists. Off the bench, Paul Reed. We had high praises for Paul Reed coming out of DePaul and when he was drafted by the Philadelphia 76ers. Six points, seven rebounds, and a block. And then Tony Bradley had a double-double, 11 points and 15 rebounds. I think that that game specifically proved to me that this team is loaded with talent. And I think that, like we mentioned, you know, Tyrese Maxey is turning out to be a proven commodity. Isaiah Joe is working his way up the lineup for minutes, and I feel like he's going to get them. Dwight Howard and Tony Bradley have established themselves as two complementary centers coming off the bench. And I feel like at the guard position, you have more depth, especially with shooting, with guys like Isaiah Joe and Dakota Mathias. And then Danny Green, the established veteran as well, at the small forward position. Like I said, this team is filled with depth. And I think that's only going to be a matter of time before all the guys on their team really get to showcase how talented they are. I completely agree. And I honestly, I want to keep it in the Eastern Conference to close out the podcast because we have two teams that we need to talk about for different reasons. And I find this extremely ironic that this is how we did this. Guys, just so you guys understand, me and Ryan do not divulge our top tens to each other before the podcast. That's what makes it extremely interesting because we hear this stuff for the first time. I had the Celtics at two and the Bucks at six. Ryan had the Bucks at two and the Celtics at six. Ryan... Plead your case for the Bucs as a top two team and the Celtics as a bottom five team in your top 10, despite being a top team in the Eastern Conference, literally at number one as we speak. So the Milwaukee Bucks have the NBA's best offensive rating this year, and it's easy to see why. Drew Holiday has been one of their best acquisitions this offseason. 
Giannis is a guy who's getting it done on both sides of the floor. Middleton as well. Chris Middleton's getting it done on both sides of the floor, shooting well from three and becoming an effective wing defender. I think their only real problem is that they could use more guys like Holiday, Giannis, and Middleton. But I feel like with the league's best offensive rating, I feel like Milwaukee is going to be a top team in the Eastern Conference. And I think they're going to give so many problems for defenses in the NBA. Boston, on the other hand, I've mentioned it before and I'll mention it again. I feel like the championship window is closing on this team. And I don't think that this season is it's getting any better because of the absence of Jason Tatum. You already lost Kemba Walker for a couple games, and now Jason Tatum. I mentioned that Jason Tatum could be an MVP candidate this year. And I feel like when you're losing a guy like Jason Tatum, that's another blow to this team that is already down one star in their big three. You're already down Kemba Walker. Now you're going to be down Jason Tatum. So now it's going to rely more on guys like Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, Tristan Thompson to really step up. But I have to wonder who's going to fill that role of Jason Tatum and the importance of a guy like Jason Tatum on the Boston Celtics. That's the main concern for me, Jalen, and I don't feel like, despite their record, I don't think that Boston is as good of a team as people say they are, and I do feel like that depth, like I've mentioned before in previous episodes, the depth that we think they have, it's not there anymore. Well, ironically, I'm in a little bit of a tight spot here because similar to the Nuggets conversation, this is another team in my hot takes uh, segment that we did that I was a little bit low on and a little worried that their championship window closed back in 2018. And I do still have my worries about that. Again, that wasn't a set in stone take. That was kind of just a hot take level. It was, it was hot take level concern (laughs) that was taking place, but Here's my thing. The Bucks, they are I agree with you. They're they're a top of the league team in terms of offensive rating, but they always are. During the regular season, they always are this team. They've got their three guys in Giannis Antetokounmpo, Chris Middleton, and Drew Holiday all averaging at least five assists per game. Giannis is averaging a double double. They've got five guys averaging double figures, including Bobby Portis, who they picked off in the uh, who they picked up in the offseason. But here's my biggest thing, Ryan. We're talking about depth. I know Milwaukee's not talking about depth. I know they don't want to talk about depth. Because after we get past the starting five, the next two reliable players on their team are probably Brooke Lopez and Forbes. And if we're talking about Bobby Portis coming off the bench instead, then it's Bobby Portis and um, Brent Forbes. So it's one of those things between Brent Forbes and Bobby Portis, that's kind of your backbone depth-wise. Now with the Celtics, 
they're in an interesting set of circumstances because they're atop the Eastern Conference. Like you said, Jason Tatum is going to have to quarantine, which means they're not losing him for the season. They're just going to miss him for a couple of games, which could be detrimental depending on the circumstances. But this is a team that's been able to maintain a spot in the top three to top five of the Eastern Conference despite not having Kimball Walker, despite seeing Gordon Hayward leave in free agency, despite swapping Enos Cantor for Tristan Thompson. A guy in Peyton Pritchard, rookie in, uh, rookie in the first, late first round, has been performing better than a, than a veteran guy in Jeff Teague, which I think is a significant upside that you're getting that kind of play from an older rookie on your team. Marcus Smart is due for a three-point bonanza. We just know that he's got, he's got those kind of games in him, and we know he's an all-NBA caliber defender when he turns it on. He's just being asked to do a lot more offensively this year, which is kind of the reason why we haven't seen the big boy defensive st- uh, style and defensive plays that we're used to, for, used to from him. And I haven't even gotten to the most important part, and I'm going to address it right now. Jalen Brown is in the top five for MVP conversation this year. If he's not, you're not, you're not, you're not voting. If, if, if he's not in your top five in the MVP this year, if you have a vote, you need to give it to somebody who, who deserves it more because it's, it's, it's obvious. He's up there with LeBron. He's up there with Nikola Jokic, Paul George. He's up there in the MVP conversation. People have been talking about it all year asking the question, is Jalen Brown actually the best player on the Celtics? That's what this year has not only basketball fans, but Celtics fans in, in particularly asking themselves when they look at the kind of play that Jalen Brown has been producing this year. I think that the Celtics have an easy chance to slide down this list. In the coming weeks, even with the fact that Jason Tatum will be out, Kemba Walker will slowly probably be worked in around the time that Jason Tatum will get back. So maybe we'll see this team at full strength when JT gets back on the court as well, because I think they both should hopefully be arriving back on the um, on the floor around the same time. If Kemba's timetable was late January, early February, like it was mentioned, I think these two teams are extremely dangerous, but. I also have a hard time hyping up the Bucks during the regular season because they always do this. The Celtics are producing right now under the rest circumstances affected by COVID and injury, and they're still been a top team in the Eastern Conference. And the fact that they're not even fully healthy right now makes it where their upside is significantly higher when talking about adding a whole a all-star guard to your lineup later on in this this interesting season transitioning to our question of the day for our fans if you had to pick one eastern conference team between boston and milwaukee which team do you believe will have a better record at the end of the season this has been a great episode today on the hoop talk podcast of course make sure we subscribe to us on apple we rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast we'll see you guys next episode Peace.